Discover community. Find hope and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. It's kind of crazy. It doesn't really add up for me. Maybe in some kind of spiritual way or some kind of mystical way it makes sense, but in the real world, it doesn't really work. I I just don't, like, unless maybe there's a... Unless there's maybe like a, a different reality than the reality I live in. Like maybe there's a capital R reality that I can't see and understand and touch. And I live in a small R reality. Like on the surface, any, any, anybody who does math, because math is math, right? When, when, when math, you, you do math because you trust math because math adds up when you bring things together, you can see that they add up, but in his world, like he has this more than everything or more than anyone or more than everyone kind of thinking where when you look at it, it, it doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't add up and get my head around the idea of figurative. Maybe it adds up figuratively, or, but, but certainly not quantitatively. It, it's it's like we heard it, you guys. We heard it. We heard like like it, it was it was impressive. We, like they would come in. We're watching. They would come in and they they take scads of coins and they dump them in, and you could hear them go. And it was like oh. it was so impressive watching them. Someone would come in and like literally out of their robes they they pour. Handful after handful, and it was like, it was like so much. And then this lady comes in. At first, I didn't even notice her. I didn't. Philip stepped forward and and started watching, and it caught my eye, and I I I almost missed her completely. I I watched her, and she she was. I'm making a judgment, but she seemed really sweet. She was smiling, but it was clear she was poor. Like, not poor, but like really poor. She reached into her coin purse, and she pulled out a lapta, a mite, two of them. And when she dropped them in, we didn't hardly hear a thing, because like a mite is just a little bit more than nothing. But then he says this about her. He says, she gave more than everyone. And that's, when I talk to my friends, That that's... I mean, they like them, but they don't get it. She gave more than everyone? It was obvious. It was like totally obvious. She gave more than nothing. And my friends, when I tell them those kinds of things, they, they like him. They like him. They, re, they respect him. But truth is, they're not going to trust him because he says those kinds of things. Like they would never believe that was more than everything that, that we had just witnessed. They, that, that's, it was more than nothing. Maybe in his world, but, but I'll tell you what, honestly, you don't take more than nothing to the bank. You don't buy bread with more than nothing. You don't buy fruit with more than nothing. And so I've kind of made a decision, at least at this point. I, I like him. I'm going to continue to follow him, but I'm just, just be, I'm not going to let him run my money. Because that math for me just doesn't add up. Not in the real world. Mark chapter 12, Pastor Patrick worked on this passage 
last week, and we're going to dig into it one more time. Mark chapter 12, verse 37 to 44. The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows. They devour widows' houses, and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So this is the last week of Jesus' life. In, in, in the calendar, the last week of Jesus' life, it's Wednesday in the last week of his life. Thursday is coming the next day. That's, that's when they celebrate the Passover. We, we would call it the Last Supper. Friday is when he was crucified. Saturday is when all of his enemies thought they won. And Sunday is the week, is the day that changed everything for everybody, always. And Jesus is in the temple courts. He's been teaching. He's been debating with the leaders. He calls, he's in, in the temple court, and he's in the part called the court of the women, and, and that's the spot where, that's the deepest place in the temple that women could go, and there they had 13 containers, 13 containers where they could receive offerings as people walked by. I, I have a picture of an artist's rendition of one. This is the, the rendition that Jim made for us. Uh, we stole a trombone, we borrowed, we, we received a trombone from Poplar's Music and cut it up. And uh, we, we have no idea what they actually look like, but we've been told that they were brass horns in the treasury boxes. And, and Jesus is sitting there, and, and he's watching. Let, let's let's kind of gather in for a second and spy with Jesus on, on the givers. Right? So Jesus, it says, it says that he's, he and the disciples are standing there watching, and we know that that makes everybody uncomfortable when people watch how much you give. Right? It's like you'd want to say, Jesus, stop being rude. This is private. Right? Because, like, like us, no one wants to, well, not true. Some people do like to be seen. Right? But, but here's the thing. For those of us who are like really private about our giving, and we don't want to be, here's the thing. It's, Jesus watching, it's, it's not like he doesn't already know. Like God already knows everything we give and don't give. It's not like a secret. And so they're watching and these people come in and they have lots of money, right? And they come up and, and they would do this. They would stand in front of the crowd and they would, they drop it in and people would listen and they would go, oh, and then they may even do a little bit higher. People would come and gather up the coins around and, and pick them up and hand them back so they could drop them in again. And everybody would be amazed at how much these people would give. And they would go, 
on their way. Jesus is watching. And for some reason, even though it's massively impressive to us, Jesus not so impressed. It says this, this, this poor lady, this, this widow, uh, we, we don't know how old she was, but, but she brought in, and, and I have one here, she brought in two mites. A, a, a mite, or a laptos, is, is, comes from the Greek word lapta, which means very thin. It's a little piece of copper, it's about the size of my baby fingernail, and it's paper thin, and she brought two of those in, and she dropped them into the treasury. You could hardly hear him. And Jesus says, she gave more than all of the others. What kind of economics is that? You don't learn that in college. We have people dropping all kinds of money. And she says that she gave more? Can you get your head around that? That's weird thinking. Unless, of course, there is a kingdom economics. Where God somehow takes our gifts and multiplies them and uses them in a way that is exponentially different than face value. It doesn't necessarily add up in our kind of thinking. But that's the story. Massive wealth. And two mites. And somehow, maybe because... The massive wealth was on display to give attention to the giver. And maybe the two mites in humility given in worship to the hand of God became amazing. So let's pull out some observations. See, these are, these are observations that we learned from Jesus who was spying on the givers, right? Here's the first observation. This, this is like really simple, you guys. This is really simple. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. The rich people walk around like they own the place in God's house. And the truth of the scripture is all through the scripture, over and over and over, there seems to be this basic truth that's being taught that everything we have belongs to God. Jesus has been talking a lot about money in this last couple of chapters. He, he talked to the rich young ruler. And he said, unless you give away it all. That's Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 11. He, he's talking about turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple. Because they were making a profit off of people who were trying to worship. Then, then he goes to the person who asks him, uh, pay taxes or not? And he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render... To God, what is God's? And then he comes to this story about this little widow. And there's this core principle running through. Let me, let me just give some verses to us. So this core principle that runs through all of Jesus' teaching, runs through all of the teachings of Scripture. It's a core principle. We'll come to it. So here's Psalm 24.1. This will start to give it away to you. And here's the question. Not, like, I know we know this, but do we live this? And you just test your heart and your mind. Here's Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Deuteronomy 8.17 and 18. You may say to, your, say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. He gives you the ability 
to produce wealth. First Chronicles 29. This is a prayer of King David. This is amazing, you guys. This is a beautiful prayer. He says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Luke 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches, that other kingdomly riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you have not been trusted with somebody else's property, here's the kingdom principle. When you give, you give what is already God's, his property. That's crazy. Some of us have worked so hard in our lives. Some of us have scraped by. And in our heart, we think, I've earned this. And we function like it's ours. Maybe you experienced this when you were a kid, or maybe you've experienced it as an adult, but, but it, it, it's coming up to your birthday, right? And one of your children walks up to you, Dad, can I borrow five bucks? And you say, sure, what for? It's your birthday coming up, and I want to buy you something. And you go along with it. You go along with it because you want to see the joy in your child's face when he gives you that gift that he bought for you or that she gives you that gift that she bought for you. But it's your money. Everything belongs to the Lord. Some of us ought to just stop right there. That's all you need for today. It's a recalibration of the ownership of what you think you have. But let's do a second observation. Observation number two. Sacrificial generosity makes really good sense. Sacrificial generosity makes good sense. Because here's what we're going to discover. Is that Jesus, God, promises. He promises. You you guys, he promises to take care of us. Now, when I read the story of the widow, and it says that she gave all that she had, on the surface, it's like, okay, she had two. My counsel would be, keep one for yourself, give one to God. But she didn't do that. I don't know if like, she had a prompting from God that says, give it all, trust me. I don't know if she was living out the prayer that many of us say frequently. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven and on earth as it is in heaven. and our... Give us this day our daily bread. I can't believe I screwed that up. <laughs> you should all join with me. right? Give us this day our daily bread. I wonder what happened right after this for her. I, I, there's, there's no story about it. I, I don't know. I don't know if someone said on the way out of the temple, hey, c- could we give you a bowl of soup? I don't know if on the way home she found a coin that bought her bread. But what I do know, she put it all in. And that's amazing to me. Unless I have a kingdom economic understanding, unless I understand that God always, always, always cares for his people, here, here's some verses, just Proverbs 11, 20. Again, by the way, you all know this. Most of you know this. Maybe some of you don't, but most of you know this. You just choose to say, you know what? I'm going to follow him. 
I'm just not going to trust him with my money. Like, I believe in all that he says he's done, for, but economically, it doesn't make sense to, like, he thinks like a more than everything kind of guy, when it was really more than nothing. Here, here's some verses. Proverbs eleven twenty four to 26. Give freely and become more wealthy. <laughs> Only in the Bible would it say something like this. Okay, you guys, give away lots of money. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in time of need. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. Remember this. By the way, we're getting ready for something as we move towards this. God is prompting some of you. God is making some of you sweat under your underarms right now, right? Because you're thinking, he's talking about like my money. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times... Let me do that verse over. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. See, some of us are saying, well, I don't have enough to be generous. Maybe you don't have enough because you're not generous. At least in kingdom economics. Live in a real world. Take care of yourself. Follow Jesus, sort of, but don't let him touch your money. Here's the kingdom principle. You cannot outgive God. You can't. So uh, let me just do a personal thing for a second. And this is a challenge to those of you who are students and still young, unlike those of you that are my age. I'd start now being faithful while you have very little. Because I hear people all the time say, well, when I have a better job then... Or someday when I get to then. See, and here's what happens. You start spending his money in a way that he doesn't want you to spend it. You start accumulating debt. You start accumulating all this stuff. And, and you end up owing in a way that you never intended to so that you can't be faithful or you won't be faithful with what is his. At this point in my life, and I don't, this isn't boasting at all, I am so grateful. Someone taught me about that when I was a kid. A brand new Christian. Because today, I can look backwards. I can say, God has provided so much for me. I want to show you a little video clip. It's not of me. That'll be obvious in a second. But it's of another guy who's going to talk. And he says this little phrase in there about tithing. I don't want you to miss it. He talks about tithing. And he talks about that not being generous. He'll say this. Tithing isn't being generous. Tithing is just not stealing. It'll make sense. And then he'll talk about giving on purpose. He'll talk about listening to God. He'll talk about learning to receive well, not giving under compulsion. And then he'll say in the end, to obey is better than sacrifice. 
Okay, again, it's not me, but you'll recognize who it is, maybe. So my comedy, I always sit back and I pay close attention to people. Uh, one of the things that changed for me in comedy is when a comedian normally gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. But I felt like instead of trying to get laughs from people, I should give people an opportunity to laugh. But when I give, not just laughter, when I give anything, I try to give on purpose, meaning I try to never give out of compulsion or emotion. And when I talk about giving, I'm not talking about the tithe. That's not giving. That's called not stealing. I ain't talking about that. <laughs> so when I talk about giving, I'm talking about never really giving out of compulsion. I try to hear God's voice when I, when I give. I try to be obedient. And I'm really good at receiving, too. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> like, I try to have a balance. It's very, very important that you have a balance. So this is what this looks like for me. I was at a Starbucks, right? And the car in front of me paid for my Starbucks coffee. That was awesome. So you know what I did? I did a little prayer. I ain't hear anything. Pulled off with some free Starbucks. <laughs> for real. Two weeks later, I'm at the same Starbucks. Car in front of me pays my coffee. I was like, wow, that is awesome. Dude, the drive through was like, you don't understand. You're the 23rd car in a row. I was like, wow, for real? Pulled off with some free Starbucks. <laughs> Here's the thing. I know some of you guys are thinking I'm being insensitive. I like to beg to differ. Is it possible that the only person who really gave was the person in the front? Is it also possible that everyone else just had a hard time receiving? I didn't have a hard time receiving. I pulled off with some free Starbucks. <laughs> and anytime you truly give, there's always a sacrifice. In fact, I would, I would probably argue that the sacrifice is the majority of the gift especially with regards to John 3.16. So when you give, it's really about the sacrifice. So if you're going to buy a coffee, now suddenly you have this money that you wouldn't have before, and you buy someone else a coffee, there's really no sacrifice. But even if there is, obedience is better than sacrifice. He and I have the same shoes and the same hair. See, what we're being called to do, and, and again, I don't know for sure about the lady's heart or mind. I just know that Jesus pointed her out. I'm guessing she was seeking to be obedient in her generous sacrifice. But if God's word is true, which I believe it is, and I'm guessing many of us believe it is, for the most part, he says he will take care of us and that it'll make sense to be generous and sacrificial in your giving. Like in regard to tithing in Malachi chapter 3, it, it, it says this, that he'll provide for you, that he will protect you and what is yours, and then he'll promote you and call you blessed but you have to decide whether you're willing to enter into that or not. Like some people, I wonder if, like, maybe I'll ask two questions about tithing, which is just the obedience part. I wonder why, if you don't, why you don't. Have you ever asked yourself that? Why don't I? Like what holds you back from trusting him or believing him or what's the fear? The second question is this. Do you think in God's economy that there's something he wants to provide for you or something that he wants to protect you from or in some way he wants to promote you that he's holding back because you're not obedient or not being faithful? So we have this tithe challenge. It's in your sermon notes. It's, you can go online and find it there. It, it, it's a three-month challenge right? where you can just sign up and say, for three months, I'm going to try tithing. I'm not going to go into all the details. You can, you can go if you're motivated to do that, right? It, you sign up for three months, and then you give your tithe, which means 10% of your income, to the church, and we'll track it and keep track of it at the end of, or actually at any point during the 
three months or at the end, if God hasn't provided for you or protected you or promoted you in some way, blessed you in some way, just ask, we'll return it. Because that's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me in this. It's the only place where, and we test God all the time. We lay out fleeces, we do things all the time, but he actually invites us to do it regards for our money. And some of you are on the beginning end of your income thing, right? Some of you are at the apex of your income thing. Some of you are winding down on your income thing. Why not try? Okay, that's it. Here's observation number three. Your impact can go beyond your capacity. Your impact can go beyond your capacity. Here's what I love about this is, is her story. Again, I don't know what happened after with the two mites in the basket given to God in honor of him. I don't know how God multiplied it. I don't know if the disciples who watched it were stunned and blown away by, oh my goodness, I don't know if something happened in their hearts. I don't know. I don't, but I know when I look at other parts of scripture where people did things in trust of God, he exponentially multiplied the impact of their gift. It's like frequent. It's like this little math equation. Kingdom economics goes like this. Your gift plus your faithful heart plus God equals exponential impact. Your gift plus your faithful heart plus God equals exponential impact. I know, I know some of us are like, I don't have that much. I don't care how much, well, I don't mean it like that. It's not like I don't care. It's like God looks at your heart and the size of your life and heart and determines impact based on that. It's not like you have, it's, it's not like you have to be rich to impact, not in God's kingdom. Like the kid, you remember the kid in, in, in Mark chapter six? He had a little lunch, couple loaves of bread, and some fish, and God multiplied it to 5,000. I, I wonder in the ki- kingdom economy, what the widow's gift accomplished. See, maybe part of our problem is we look at things with face value all the time. We, we, we look at a quarter and think, oh, that's 25 cents. But what happens if you took the 25 cents? What might God do with that if it's done with a faithful heart? So there's this story about this guy. It, it happened about 20 years ago. He was 19 years old. He was working at this house where the family of the house had this massive coin collection that they've been collecting coins since the 1800s. Happened in, in, in Portland, Washington. And this young guy, he stole that collection. He stole all the coins and took his girlfriend out on the town. They went to movies and he handed in quarters, right? There, there was all kinds of quarters. There was quarters like, like Liberty headquarters. There are Morgan dollars. There are all kinds of these coins. But here's what he did. He was spending the coins based on face value. He actually bought a pizza with a coin, a set of coins that were worth $18,000. But he didn't know that. Because he didn't know the value. He was just spending them at face value, which is the way most of us live. We live with our gifts at face value rather than believing in kingdom economics. Here's another principle. Kingdom principle. Value is not measured by earthly status, but by the heavenly owner. And if God owns it all, he values all of what you have. And when you surrender back to him, he multiplies the impact of it. Think think of that in, in reference to your financial gifts. Think of that in reference to your story. We were here the other night, some of us, and we listened to testimonies. There was people online and here weeping at the stories that you just gave, but God multiplies impact. You think, well, it's just my, it's just my story. It's just my messed up life. It's just my thing, right? 
and you surrender your story to God, and he does amazing things to it. You surrender your life to be owned by God. You surrender some of you the life yet to be lived within you. Some of you, at the very last breath, you surrender those last breaths to God. You surrender yourself to God. And the value of those surrenders, the value of those pieces, the value of your life are exponentially made greater by Him. See, we're part of something. We, 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 we get, it, it says in Corinthians, we get to plant seeds. Someone else comes in waters, but God does the increase. What if your whole life was, God, all that I am, all that I have is genuinely yours. Kingdom principle. Faithfully do your part, then watch God create the impact. God, I have these messed up parts about me. If I surrender them to you, would you ever use them for impact? God, I have this income that comes to me. If I surrender that to you, would you like to do amazing? God, I have this sorrow. Could you create impact through that? God, I don't feel like I have much to offer you. It feels like it's just a little more than nothing. But I'm going to trust you. What would it look like for you and I to actually trust him? See, in the 80s, there's a young couple who went to Ethiopia. The young couple's names were Allie and Paul Hewson. They went and met with a young guy named Steve Reynolds. They stayed there for a month. And Allie and Paul were so overwhelmed by the poverty of the people that they met that they set out for the rest of their lives to change world poverty. This guy named Steve, he just offered his life. And God created this impact through his sharing about poverty to Paul and Allie. You may know Paul by the name Bono, who has had an amazing impact. He says the reason that he is so intent on giving of his life goes all the way back to a guy who gave his life named Steve. What might God do with you and your gifts as big or as little as they might be? Lord bless you. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is the quintessential image of giving it all. Jesus gave it all for us. For these next several weeks, we're going to walk toward the cross. And we're going to see and witness the work that he's done. During the Passover meal, which was celebrated on Thursday, the day after the day we talked about today, Jesus took bread off the table and he raised it up to his father. And he asked his father to bless it and says they broke it. He said to the guys that were there, and he said to all of us who have followed, this is my body given for you. In the same way he took a cup, 
he's dead up to his father. And he asked his father to bless it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you.